0: dive into real estate what are you waiting for welcome to the dive into real estate investing for newbies podcast where you will learn some of the newest strategies and simple techniques to get into real estate investing this podcast is about helping you take action and motivating you to dive into real estate for financial freedom now your host cecil rose all right, guys. Welcome to another episode of Dive into Real Estate Investing for Newbies podcast. I have another great guest, uh, Samson uh, Jagoris. Uh, Samson, oh, man, he has an extensive background. That's all I have to say. I'm going to read a little bit about his background. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited to have him on the podcast. So Samson uh, over, has over 12 plus years in the business. He's an executive leadership and entrepreneurship. Samson has served as a professional futures and commodities broker, built a single-family rent, rental property business, and a boutique gym. Uh, most notably, Samson has been a key player on the executive leadership team at uh, Madwire Inc. 500 marketing and technology company located in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, he has aided in taking Madwire's revenue from $7 million to over $100 million and 35 employees to 600 employees in 10 years. So, uh, and there's tons of stuff, more stuff I can add, but I'm just, I'm ready to heal what Samson. Gotta say, man, just welcome to the show, Samson. Appreciate you being on.
1: Yeah, man, I, I'm excited to be here. I think this is, uh, real estate's the thing that I didn't know that I wanted to do when I grew up. And uh, I love that you're, you're specifically focused on helping people find their way into it. If you're like me and you, we love it. We know the advantages of it. It's fun putting the deal together, hustling it down. Um, so I'm excited to just share what I know and and hopefully change some people's lives.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, me and Samson was talking a little bit before the show, and uh, I was listening to another podcast, man, and uh, Alex Perto, I listened to him. And it was they were talking about multi-family versus single family. And they had, man, they had dropped a lot of good nuggets. But um uh, with Samson, Samson has done, he's doing tons of stuff from fix and flip to rehab to uh, single family to multifamily. But, um, you know, I'm very interested in uh, just his knowledge and his content that he's going to give today. So, Samson, kind of give us a little background of how you started and where are you located right now?
1: So, I'm in uh, Northern Colorado, um, Fort Collins, Colorado State's up here. I live just outside of that in a little town called Windsor which is growing like crazy. It's one of the you know, fastest growing segments of Colorado, just outside of Greeley, if you've ever heard of that. Greeley and Colorado Springs are like both, both ends of the spectrum of the state. And so just growing like crazy up here, tons and tons and tons of land. You know, Just to give you perspective, there's 5.5 million people in the entire state of Colorado. There's 8 million people in New York, New York. Um, so there's lots of land and lots of opportunity for residential development. So there's a ton of that going on right now in the state. Um, For me, I got my start back in 2008. So I graduated on a Friday with a degree in human physiology and decided to completely pivot and walk into a futures and commodities trading brokerage on a Monday. And uh, three months later, I was a newly crowned futures broker. And that was September 29th, 2008. And the Dow Jones fell 777 points in a single day, which set off the economic housing crisis. But as a, you know, 24 year old young guy, it was probably the best thing that could happen to me because I got baptized quick. And uh, I was learning just real time every single day, you know, and and being around seasoned traders and investors and and whatnot. Um, That's ultimately what ended up pushing me to real estate. And, you know, if you know anything about the futures market, highly, highly leveraged, you know, you can get 10 to one leverage on a lot of you know, different types of assets, like we were trading crude oil and gold and cattle and pigs and corn and soybeans and wheat and things like that. Um, the the consistent theme was though the people who uh, perennially made money were my producers, meaning they were people who actually owned hard assets, right? The farmer who went and traded futures was trying to hedge his cash crop or hedge his cash um, herd. He wasn't as concerned about just speculating on where price is going, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I love about real estate is it's actually backed by something physical. And if you look at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, food, shelter, and water, that's the most fundamental stuff that we need. That stuff is not going anywhere. It's not going to be Ubered out of existence. If anything, technology is only going to it, like we've seen with Airbnb,
0: for example. Right. Right. So, so you actually got into the market when the market bubble, the housing market bubble, had kind of just collapsed so uh so you got a background in trading stocks right and yep. kind of got the background in real estate so with the stock i mean uh and i'm not trying to jump ahead but the market is, is i mean everybody's saying it's correcting themselves but what is how is your outlook on that people saying the market is correcting itself and dow jones is up and down and all this stuff um I mean, what opportunities are we looking at right now?
1: You know, it's funny. There um, There are lots of sayings that exist in the world of trading and finance. And, and sayings, you know, generally hold some truth. A couple of those are everyone's a genius in a bull market. So over the last 10 years, you could have closed your eyes, picked pretty much anything and been successful. Um, the problem with that is confirmation bias sets in and everybody thinks, Oh man, I'm killing it! I can't lose. When the market goes down, I buy it, and it goes up. You know, and like, right? That's not really um, that's not really a strategy because I've watched people take their accounts from twenty five thousand to a million and a million back down to twenty five thousand. So the the one thing I learned from the trading world was always just you know manage your risk. You can't necessarily control whether the world the market's going to go up or down. You don't really know what the economy is going to do, but I can make sure when I get into the deal or I get into the trade that I have a predetermined stop loss and it's a favorable risk reward, right? I know that, Hey, if I lose, I could lose a grand on this, but I could also make three grand or I could also make 10 grand. And so that makes the, the risk and the leverage worth it. Where I see people, see people mess up in the real estate world is they'll say things like, Oh, it's real estate. It goes up forever. Or it's, Apple, it goes up forever, or it's Tesla, or it goes up forever, right? Until it doesn't, right? Right. So, you know, one of the good things about the stock market is there's a ton of liquidity, right? I I can move my money in and out at will, pretty much. Um, The problem is, is there's a ton of liquidity, which means, you know, it can fall 700, 1,800 points like it did in March in a single day. And, um, And that can be hard to swallow for a lot of people, and most people don't have the trading strategy or the wherewithal to really manage or trade through that. Um, something that moves slower, like real estate that you can touch, that also has other benefits like tax advantages and things like that um, is something that I have grown to love and, you know, really grown to focus less on huge upside and equity growth and more on, you know, stable and cash producing stuff. Cause long-term net net, if you look at, you know, the wealth built in real estate, it's, it's from cash flow and not necessarily appreciation.
0: Right. Right. It sounds like you a big, uh, student of, of knowledge too and learning, continuing to learn. Um, tell me a little bit about like maybe one of your, a couple of your first properties, like how you got into them, uh, you did owner finance that you buy them. Cause it seemed like you structure a lot of your deals just from reading some of your background.
1: Yeah, you know, the I think the the easiest way for a lot of people to get into it is just, you know, buy your first home, right? So very first home we bought, we bought it, took out a home equity line of credit, you know, finished out part of the property and then sold it. Then we moved into another house. The market was screaming at that point. We took out another home equity line of credit, plus we had stockpiled some cash Mm -hmm. and went and bought a single family that had a separate entrance and was zoned. Um, R3, or excuse me, it was on BE, which is business, but also multifamily, kind of a weird little quaint bungalow in a downtown market like Loveland, Colorado. Right. And so we were able to convert it from a single family to a duplex. And um, the number one most profitable way to make money in real estate is change of use. So taking something from a single family to a duplex um, made it you know, incredibly valuable. So we we put, I think we put forty grand down. I think we put another forty into the renovation. We put it on Airbnb that first summer. The upstairs unit, while I was renovating the bottom unit, made fifteen grand. Wow. <laughs> then then turned it into it's you know seven hundred square feet. So we turned it into an executive rental, and uh, we were charging a premium of like seventeen hundred dollars a month, which included utilities and Wi-Fi and pets I, and I all see. that good stuff. But you know, seventeen hundred bucks a month on six hundred and ninety square feet—pretty damn good. So, um, so once we finished the bottom unit, um, we moved a tenant into that temporarily, ran that thing through for till the following summer. Then we put both units on Airbnb that next summer, and we'd made twenty-five grand that summer. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we basically within two years had made back our principal down payment on that. And then, uh, and then we put full time, long term renters in there. We haven't done Airbnb with that property since then. We did a cash out refinance, pulled out another eighty. So within two years, we've made 150 grand uh, off of that property that we were able to return in capital, and we were we um, we still had you know another 200 grand in equity growth on that property. So that that one deal in you know four years made us close to 400 grand, something like that.
0: Right. So let me ask you. So most of the properties, it seems like. Maybe you buy or come into; they have equity in them. So, are you? I mean, if you were to, I'm, I'm like teach students or whatever. Heloc is one of the best ways to go in your advantage if there's equity in there to uh, where you don't touch on. Can you kind of go over that? Because a lot of people I talk to, I know it's different forms of Heloc. Some people just get Helocs to uh, fix their home up, and some people get Helocs where they can pay their home off quicker, which some people I, I think don't have the the whole full knowledge of that, but yeah, I mean, go a little bit into that?
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially, you know, when there's equity in your home, let's just say you bought a house for, we'll use easy numbers for hundred grand and uh, you have a loan on it for 10 grand, the bank will give you an equity line of credit on the difference between what the home's worth and um, the principal pay down amount. And so, uh, you know, essentially we were able to pull out a line of credit that was, I think it was like 45 grand on our primary residence, which is where we lived. And then we were able to take that money plus cash to go buy an investment property. Granted, the household income that we had was high enough that it could support the loan, you know, because we went conventional banking on that one. But I don't think people realize that, you know, you'll hear some people say like, oh, you shouldn't own a home, right? You should take that money, you should buy a rental property or put it into an investment and live below your means, invest the difference. And I agree with that to a certain extent, but at the same time, if you're properly, we'll call it leveraging your house, right? You can. There's a lot of advantages that come with that, Um, like being able to take out a home equity line of credit. Now, don't take out a home equity line of credit and go buy a boat. You know, don't take out a home equity line of credit and, you know, go on a vacation. Um, But being able to have that, it's kind of like having this investor that's sitting out there that at any point in time you could draw 50 grand from and go leverage it. So right. that's kind of, kind of how I think about it, but there's so many other ways to put deals together, you know, and, and one of the the primary ways, especially right now, there's so much money out there. There's just not enough deals. So right. if you're competent, you have the knowledge and you can go and find deals, especially off market deals that, you know, aren't, aren't involving real estate agents, then, there's money to be had and you can go find it you know and then it just comes about like getting it under contract and being creative and there's a lot more flexibility when you go outside of a conventional bank
0: yeah i want to get in so you you are a commercial real estate broker yep and uh okay um so what you just touched on too finding properties off market how are you finding these deals are you focused more on a uh, multifamily now or single family or both?
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's um there's a few different strategies in my portfolio. So we have an investment group, Growth View Properties, and we raise private yeah, money from right. from accredited right. investors. And what we're focused on there is buying stable, cash producing, large commercial apartment complexes throughout the United States, specifically focusing on the South. So we love Texas, we love Atlanta, we love North South Carolina. Those are all great markets to just buy a really good, stable cash producing asset. Um, Where I live in Northern Colorado, it's a different strategy. Like in Northern Colorado, this is a growing market. Um, Definitely, I would call it the winds of change. So you have to be a lot more opportunistic. There's not as much apartment inventory, the product's older. There's not enough well-qualified property management to manage that large commercial stuff. And when there is large commercial apartments, you know the the cap rates are so compressed that it's it's very very hard to make sense of them unless you're you know get some deep pockets and just the returns aren't there. So, um, opportunistically in Northern Colorado, the way that we find deals is by doing direct mail. Um, we network deeply. We run our own meetup, so we have one called Legacy Real Estate Investors. And me and my local partner up here, Patrick Sukup, we we just know everybody who's moving deals and doing deals and flipping deals and doing what and whatnot. And then um, we, we actually recently started a mentorship program. So we have uh, four bird dogs that are out there just hunting deals down and they get, they get paid a commission for finding the deal, but then they also get the mentorship if we bring them in and we actually like take them through the entire deal so they can now learn. Cause that's, that's what hangs most people up. They're like, Oh, I see this great for sale by owner, but I don't know how I would get the money. I don't know how do I quantify the, the fix and flip value on that and i have no idea how i'd project manage it or even sell it on the back end i don't even know how to write a contract you know so you are like right if you find that deal and bring it to me i'll close it and then we'll bring you through the whole thing so are
0: so, you all doing that nationwide or just locally right that's now?
1: just that's just locally so that's our local strategy up here in northern colorado just because we feel strongly about where this part of the state is going right. um and there's a there's just it's the suburbs of denver so given everything that's happened over the last 8 months there's definitely some people that are fleeing out of the city and moving into the into the burbs because they can get a little more bang for their buck, and a lot of people are working more remotely and whatnot. So right. it's just a it's a good opportunity. But on like I was saying, on the other side of that, the multifamily side, we're just raising money, sourcing deals traditionally from commercial brokers, and or trying to get them before they go fully marketed, and then right. we're structuring the deal by um, bringing in debt you know, raising a couple million dollars, partnering with um, joint venture partners and family offices across the United States to make those deals happen.
0: Is this a certain criteria y'all looking for? What's all the multifamily? Is it a certain criteria, certain number of units, cap rate? And um, yeah, you can talk about that. And also, are y'all getting into them more on, on the financing or just straight buying them if the price is right?
1: Yeah, when you get to that scale, you know we're 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 looking at B grade, large commercial multifamily, hundred units or more. Um, when you get to that scale, there's not much owner financing to be had. That being said, there's really, really, really good financing from Fannie and Freddie that you can get on those properties, large non-recourse debt, um, which basically means that. Nobody has to personally collateralize the loan. Nobody has to put up their personal balance sheet. Um, like, you kind of have to do when you, you know, if you buy a single family residence and you get a conventional loan, they're going to underwrite you as an individual. They're going to want to know what assets you have, what income you have, so on and so forth. When you get to this, to the large scale like that, they're just looking at the asset and they're saying the asset is, is its own entity and it's a stable right. cash producing entity because it's so stable and produces so much cash that we don't even need you to collateralize it. Like, in fact, if if the world melted down and we had to take this property back over, we would. That being said, if you look back during 2008, during the housing crisis, the default rate on these large commercial properties was 0.04%. So the likelihood of these large commercial properties defaulting is is pretty unlikely. That's why private equity puts their money there. That's why AAA rated life insurance puts their money there. You know, it's um, it's a really proven, proven business model.
0: So that's why I guess you see more people trying to get out of residential going to multifamily. Uh, it's easier, I guess, to get a loan, uh, like you said, a government loan, they'll, they'll finance that more. But you see more people think residential is a good investment because uh, they can refi the person out or they can sell it. It's not just dealing with one or two units. Have y'all had that? that issue dealing with that. I mean, cause um, I, see, but, I mean,
1: I, I see the exact opposite. I mean, when I look at, when I look at a single family property, if let's just say that something happened and and the tenant had to move out, I'm 100% vacant at that point. Right. right. If I have a hundred units and one person moves out, I'm 99% occupied. Right. Right. So, you know, you're behind the economy, your second biggest risk factor is your tenant base, right? And when you get enough scale on the property, I can withstand, you know, essentially a 20% vacancy um and and eighty percent occupancy for an entire year and the property would break even, right? Right. So that that's the advantages of going bigger. I think people stick to residential because it's easier. The, the barrier to entry is much easier. Like it's not easy to go out there and ask somebody to give you fifty, hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand 100,000, $250,000 and then go do that 10, 15, 20 times. It's easy to do that one time. It's a lot harder to go pull all that money together, right? It's harder to take down the property because you're competing with institutional investors who have a billion dollars to deploy. And you know they don't care that it's, only maybe operating as a five cap they'll pay up and pay a three cap for that so it's just hard it's a more competitive landscape but you know i I wouldn't say that you know the residential is better than than apartment complexes it's just harder you know it's it's hard to get into the big scale stuff
0: Right, right. So uh let's talk a little bit about this, uh the company, uh it's Madwire, right? Yeah. That's the name of it. The Inc. five hundred marketing and technology. So uh, I know we were talking earlier about uh marketing. Um so everything it sounds like what you've learned um, through the company and building the company up. Do you employ that as far as with the real estate also? Do you kind of use that? How is that how is that actually working? Yeah,
1: I mean it's incredibly important, you know, um when you're trying to raise money, you know, the how you show up in the marketplace matters, right? Right. So if, if I'm asking somebody to write me a million dollar check, you know, I can't I can't look like a rookie. Like every facet of that has to be perfect. And and that's because what we know now is 90% of the research process is done before the customer ever talks to you. So people are spending a ton of time checking out your LinkedIn. Who are you connected with? What are you talking about? What are you writing about? What does your LinkedIn look like? They're Googling you, right? They're going to your website. They're reading up on that content. By the time they actually get to you, you know, they know a good deal about you. So even in between that, you know, when somebody goes and they fill out a form on our site, you know, what happens after that? They get entered into an email automation campaign and they're being nurtured, right? They right, go on Facebook, right. and all of a sudden, they see a, a little ad from us, right? Because it, and it's just reminding them. You know, at the end of the day, th- there's a ton of great investors out there. There's a ton of great multifamily syndicators out there. Um, we're not special, you know. Like that's the beautiful thing about real estate is it's pretty straightforward. Right. Um, at the end of the day, you have to be top of mind when somebody's ready to deploy capital. And you got to be somebody that they can trust, right? They're, they're ultimately betting on the team, the operators that are putting the deal together, much less on the thesis behind multifamily. I mean, it's, that's pretty easy to get your head wrapped around. You understand real estate. You understand the scale that comes along with it. You understand that it's safer. It's like, Oh, okay. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's pitching that everybody's you know doing that same thing. So right. marketing is crucial to just your overall success, but, um, you know, there's, there's different phases of that. It's, you know, finding investors or finding deals. How, how do those come into your ecosystem? What happens once they engage afterwards, what happens once you actually get an investor on board, you know, how are you communicating with them on an ongoing basis? Right. Are you right. sitting there and writing them a personal note, sending that somebody says, Hey, I'm going to place a hundred thousand dollars with you. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to write them a personal note and send that to them in the mail. Um, that's all marketing you know and a lot of that stuff for a small group like us can be automated you don't necessarily have to do it obviously writing the note is something you have to take the time to do but it can be automated Um, there's tons of great technology out there and it's getting uh, more democratized and uh, more scalable for little guys like us to go and do it And and that's really what at madwire what we've done over the last you know 10 years is basically take the really complex world of marketing and try to simplify it for small business owners.
0: Right. So, so basically um, for the audience that's listened, they can, is this something that the audience can invest like small investors like myself? Uh, Do y'all find properties? Is it more like investors that y'all find or is just, it, is it more of uh, looking for investors that are already out there y'all help them grow their business
1: yeah so um are you talking about on the marketing side or are you talking about yeah on the, the
0: marketing side On the market? yeah so
1: so marketing 360.com is where um is what how, it's kind of how we market our product that's what it is you know okay and so yeah i mean we we spend a good deal of money on that business you know upwards of five hundred thousand dollars a month in advertising to generate lead flow and then that comes into our ecosystem and then you work with us consultant and they kind of give you a gauge on, Hey, here's what you need. And here's what you should probably invest for what your goals are. Um, and I think the other thing to just mention, you know, when it comes to marketing is people just don't give it enough time. You know, you're like, you're planting a seed and you're watering it. You know, right. imagine if you planted a seed, you watered this seed for like three months and a little sprout comes up and you're like, Oh, can't even believe this isn't a full size tree yet. Right. People would be like, you're crazy, man. What are you talking about? Right? right. So it it takes time to plant the seed and nurture it and grow it. You know, you're a startup and it, it it's going to take some momentum. So people tend to overestimate what they can get done in a year and really right. underestimate what they can get done in three or five years. So marketing is definitely playing the long game. It doesn't matter if it's digital or, or whatever it is. If you're starting from zero, you have no brand presence, no online, no business, no lead flow, no nothing. Yeah. Be prepared to make an investment to see the fruits of the labor on the other end.
0: Yeah. I think too, like what you were saying about direct mail, there are so many people who are doing other marketing strategies, but you have to do other marketing strategies, but not a lot of people will spend money on direct mail consistently. And I think that's why they don't have enough they say direct mail is not working, but if you are consistent with it and putting out the money, I promise you there's a lot of people that's not doing it because they don't have the money to consistently do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, just imagine you spent $1,000 a month on direct mail and you did it for 12 months and it cost you $12,000 and you got no deals out of it. Right. And then on month 13, you got a deal and that deal made you 100 grand. Was it worth it? Did it have a return on its investment? Absolutely. Heck yeah, it did, yeah. right? Yeah. But most people, they treat marketing like an event. Like, like I, I did it and it didn't work. You know, it's a lot like, right. the, look at um, in the world of fitness, right? The New Year's resolution, right? New Year's resolution kicks in January. I'm going to get in good shape <laughs> by, by Valentine's Day. They're out of there, right? Because they have well, this perspective that they're going to go from couch potato to like, supermodel right. in two months and it's like no the dude that's the supermodel he's been at it for 10 years right and that that's hard for people to
0: get their head wrapped around um, it is so um let's talk about the growth group properties so this is kind of your your entity where you have a group of investors yep. and y'all own property what all across the nation pretty much yeah so in colorado
1: Yeah. So we're focused on um, the South and the Southeast primarily. And um, we are currently, you know, it's what you would call soft circling capital working specifically with accredited investors. Gotcha. So, so under technically under the ruling, what's called regulation D there is an exemption called 506 and 506 allows people like me who aren't, uh, licensed stocks, brokers, series Mm -hmm. seven brokers, we don't have a broker dealer clearing for them to put together private placements. All private placement means is we're, uh, we're essentially a private security and I'm, I'm creating this entity and this entity is raising money and giving shares or equity for uh, individuals kind of like stocks, right? Essentially. And, um, and we're regulated by the sec. And so there's certain rules and regulations that we have to follow. According to that, one of those is we have to make sure investors are accredited, which simply means they have a net worth of a million dollars, not including their primary residence, or they have made at least $200,000 for the last two years, or $300,000 as a couple or household for the last two years that kind of makes you um, qualified. Uh, that being said, there's been some really cool, just new rules and regulations coming out with what's called Reg CF, which is
0: Regulation
1: Crowdfunding,
0: and that's something I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so that's starting to really open up the the pool for investors who haven't hit that accredited investor status yet to be right. able to invest in private placements. And I, I have this conversation a lot because. Up until like this last year before crowdfunding really, you know, really took off, people would always get frustrated because they said, well, I have, you know, $50,000 and I want to put it into a, a passive real estate investment with a syndicator, but I can't because I'm not accredited, but I can go open a Schwab account tomorrow. I can go buy some, you know, pink sheet stock that nobody's ever heard of and throw $50,000 in my account and buy it. And the company could go bankrupt tomorrow. And nobody says anything. right? That doesn't even make sense, right? So so what Reg CF has done is it's allowed, it allows one, people like me, syndicators, to be able to access capital from more people, but to be able to help more people place their money. And then three, it puts some limitations on it to say, hey, if you only make a $100,000, you can only invest 10% of that. So you can only invest $10,000 into this deal. So they're... they're I mean, I get why they're doing it. They're trying to make sure that it's regulated so that um, investors who aren't as sophisticated aren't becoming prey of bad, bad people, you know, essentially. Right. But at the same time, they've really structured the system to push people towards traditional investing, like stocks, um, and really shied away from. From you know private placements and alternative assets like real estate, which I think is a, is a shame. But you know people like us are out there to change that. So
0: right, right, man, you have a wealth of uh, wealth of information. So if you were getting into real estate, what advice would you give someone like a newbie? Uh, the name of the show is Diving into Real Estate Investing for Newbies. I mean, what advice? I mean, you got so much knowledge and your background is full. I mean, where would what would you tell them, you know, as far as if they were trying to start?
1: You know, I just wrote an article on this the other day. It was called five ways that people, uh, become real estate investors. The very first way that I think people like me were not blessed with, maybe even you are, they're born into it. I was, you know, I come from a blue collar family. Don't have a lot of money. Uh, my parents don't really know anything about real estate or investing. And, uh, and there are those people who are born into it. And obviously if you're born into it or you have an uncle that did it, it's, it's that much easier. So that one kind of, there's, I would say like 90% of the people go up. Ah, there's that's not me. The next way is to just work in the industry. You know, uh, I know you're a real estate agent as well, like I am. And, um, and just being in an industry for seven to 10 years starts to give you a lot of confidence because you work with investors and you understand how other people are doing it. You could also go be a mortgage broker you know, those are some really good ways to just get experience and, and kind of understand what's going on. You know, knowledge plus experience equals confidence and uh, getting the knowledge and working in the industry for seven to 10 years, there's enough hours, the 10,000 hour rule where you start to feel like, okay, I feel like I could do this on my own. That being said, not everybody who, (laughs) not everybody who's a real estate agent or a mortgage broker should uh, be a real estate investor. In fact, a lot of them don't know very right. much about real estate investing. Right. Um, the other way to do it is to just go bang your head against the wall, and uh, and learn the hard way, trial by fire. You know, reading great books. I, obviously, everybody's heard of Bigger Pockets. If you haven't, you should spend some time on there. Great books and resources to kind of help you get started. Um, I call it the playground mindset. You know, the very first thing you do is you just you show up to school the first day and these kids are all playing this game. You've never seen it before, but they look like they're having a lot of fun. So the very first thing you do is you kind of sit back and you just study and you observe and you see what's going on, right? And then eventually you say, hey, can I play? And you just like jump in and start playing. And through that process, you're going to learn more on how the game is played, right?
0: Right, right.
1: Um, and that's, I think, a good place for most people to start. But I think the, the most crucial and the one that I probably wish I would have done a lot sooner Was just mentorship you can find a mentor to really walk you through how to do it um you're gonna you're gonna feel a lot more comfortable confident and and uh and you'll be successful a lot sooner um that being said you know you better be prepared to either pay with your money or with your time to really get access to those people and so i you know i have participated by paying, you know, I've spent upwards of in between education and mentorship, I've probably spent close to 50 grand in just making sure that, you know, if I'm going to go be a steward of other people's capital and raise money and and help them invest in real estate, I better be the best. Right. So I need to go work with the best. Um, I've also had people pay to work with me. Right. And then I, uh, one of the newer ones we've launched here, I was talking about a little earlier, is we have this combination of, hey, you're dedicating your time. And when you bring me something, then I'll give you something, which is my knowledge. Right. So they bring deals and I give them time. And then the fifth way is just to be a passive investor. You know, there's between crowdfunding, like realty shares, what all these new sites, like, uh, I think it's called Seed Invest is one of them. Equity right. Doors is another one. There's a There's a lot of opportunity to get in as a not necessarily accredited investor, but you know, be able to place some money passively into real estate investments, which is a is a good place to start. You're not going to learn a ton that way passively, but it, at least you're getting some exposure to real estate.
0: Right. So that that leads me to my next question. So, how can uh, people get a hold of you? So, is this an article off of your website that you wrote in case they, you know, the audience want to go back and uh, read it, uh, and also your contact information, which I'll put it in the show notes also.
1: Um, I'm super active in terms of like authorship and education stuff on LinkedIn. That's a great place to connect with me. And I'm real active on Instagram as well. Um, those are the top two. And it's just my name, Samson, S A M S O N, dot J A G O R A S. It's a mouthful, Samson Jagoras. And then you can always email me, Samson at com is probably the, the best way to get a hold of me. So if you're interested in talking more about, mentorship, uh, investing, placing capital, knowing how to get started. Those are all good places to reach out. And I'm happy to give you anything I got.
0: All right. Well, man, Samson, look, man, I, I think you gave a lot of wealth of knowledge in this short period of time. Hopefully uh, I'll get you back on hopefully in the future. And uh, I appreciate you being on and uh, thanks again and continue doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, you're changing people's lives. Thank you for listening to the Dive Into Real Estate Investing for Newbies podcast at diveintorealestatefornewbies.com.